welcome to the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Barbara Fisher, and with me is Morgana. Tonight, we're welcoming Zelia Edgar. We've been wanting to talk with her since almost since before we even started the podcast. So it's very exciting to have her here. She does just another tinfoil hat. Hello, Zelia. Well, hi, I'm super excited to be on the show tonight. So thank you very much for inviting me. I'm, of course. I'm thrilled to have you. We both are. Um, and we hope you can stay with us. We've, we've had a little bit of uh, interesting uh, developments with the technology that every time we start saying something really interesting, Zelia disappears. So hopefully this works. Um, and hopefully it's not John Keel messing with us because that is going to be the subject of the discussion. So one of the reasons we've always wanted to talk with uh, Zelia is she also is another person who is highly um, influenced by Keel and um, I've, I've listened to a lot of her YouTube videos and she's really, really awesome. So what is it about Keel that, that jumped out and attracted you? Boy, um, what isn't it about Keel? You know, I mean, he just, he's one of the most original thinkers, um, I would say, in the broad field of the paranormal. And so I think that's probably what really makes me appreciate his work is kind of the creativity and originality with which he looks at all of this material. Um, and actually, it's kind of weird, sort of a weird rambling story. But I rediscovered Keel, and I'll say why I'm saying rediscovered um, in my late teens. And actually, it was kind of backwards. I saw the Mothman Prophecies movie. And I was like, oh, the Mothman. I read about that in a ton of books. But it was just a cryptid. It was some, you know, weird flying thing seen in Point Pleasant. And then there was this bridge collapse, I guess. But, you know, yeah, that, that's what it was. It can't be. The real story is not as weird as the movie. And so then I read the Mothman Prophecies. And I realized, holy smokes, the movie was nowhere near as weird as what actually occurred in Point Pleasant in those 13 months. And so that was when I rediscovered Keel. From there, I read all the rest of his books. Um, Operation Trojan Horse is probably, I mean, how can you even choose a favorite? But I love Operation Trojan Horse. I was terrified by the Eighth Tower. That's a long story as well. Um, but now, too, that's another one of my most referenced books. Um, in the years that followed, again, I was in my like mid to late teens um, when I rediscovered him. Now, as to why I'm saying rediscovered, it was when I was reading um, fairly recently The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings that I was getting this weird sense of deja vu. I was like, oh my God, this is the book. There was this one book in the library when I was like eight or nine years old. And all I remembered it was was as this fantastic collection of weird stories and cryptid accounts. It was The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. I had read that when I was like eight or nine, and it had a lasting impression on me because I remembered particularly the part on the men in the checkered shirts and you know, that whole yes. weird Benjamin Vader type phenomenon. And I had never been able to find that book. I couldn't remember who wrote it. So yeah, um, I actually was first introduced to John Keel when I was like nine um, and rediscovered him then in my mid to late teens. So, and yeah, that's just a bizarre little weird kind of roundabout um, story that I always think of when I think about how I first really became interested in Keel. But yeah, it's his originality and creativity that really um, I absolutely respect and aspire towards. I yeah. dig it. I also read Keel very young. 
um, in part because mom just like handed me the Mothman prophecies at one point because I was getting a little bit like fairies are cute and like ghosts are like Casper. And she was like, oh, no, we're going to disabuse you of that notion real quick. <laughs> Mommy, I can't sleep. I wonder why. Yeah. <laughs> Neither can I, kid. It it becomes like an heirloom because I know that I've got two younger sisters. And, you know, my youngest sister, Chloe, is also kind of interested in this stuff. Lily, she's a ballerina. She doesn't care for this at all. Um, But Chloe, you know, she when she was a kid, she would have me recount like weird stories. The Enfield horror was like one of her favorites. So if we're ever waiting, like, you know, a car ride or whatever, she's like, oh, tell me that one. I'm like, okay. So when I read the Mothman prophecies, I was like, hey, kid. (laughs) read this it's cool <laughs> it is it's like you find this you're like this is awesome and then you pass it along so yep i've I don't, i've lost I, a couple copies doing that yep just oh, being yeah. like here you have to read this and somebody dies um and then moves away or hands it on yep. to the next person yeah yep. i've lost so many copies that way it's, it's i don't pretty... know if it's lost i think it's just passed along it's found a different yeah. way yeah 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 it's 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 gone out into the world and is doing made somebody things. else not sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I I love the the idea of it like a uh, a, a hand me down sort of thing where it's a familial thing because my dad is the one who gave it to me. Oh wow. Um, he, well, we lived in West Virginia. We lived in Charleston. And my grandparents' farm was actually in Mason County at the time. Now, I was two when the bridge fell. Um, And it's actually the first news story I consciously remember. Oh, wow. um, Because my mom heard it on the radio and burst into tears. Um, Well, I know why now. It took me a long time to figure it out. But she thought that maybe her parents had been on the bridge. She didn't know. Um, so she, you know, I, that stuck in my mind about that bridge falling. And I do remember having crossed the bridge, you know, as a little tiny kid in the car, you know, so wow, that was, that was a very, very clear memory. And I do remember them talking about the bird, you know, and then Years and years later, when the Mothman prophecies came out, my dad checked it out of the library and said, you should read this after he read it. And so I read it, you know, and didn't sleep very well. Indrid Cold was the one that got me. I did not like the man with the weird smile. The man, telepathically. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I didn't like that. Oh, yeah. Telepathically talking to the, the poor man with the sewing machine truck. I just did. It, it was just no. Anything that you know. friendly is not up to anything good. <laughs> Exactly. No, no, it's not. <laughs> it's just, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I just, you know, I, I, it just freaked me out. And then I was 12 when it came out in paperback. And 12 is when I had my first UFO sighting that was of a, something that looked solid. Before that, we had seen lights in the sky. Um, and I came home. My mom was with me, but she saw a bird. She didn't see that. She saw a bird up in a tree, and I saw movement in the sky, you know, past the tree, and was staring at that, and she was talking about this bird, which when I looked in the tree, I didn't see a bird at all. Um, By the time we got home, we had argued about what 
we were seeing and not seeing. So by the time we got home, we weren't speaking. And then my dad said, did you have a good walk? And I just walked over to him and I just stood there and stared down at him while he was reading the paper because he's always reading the paper. And he's like, what? And he kind of tipped a corner down and looked at me. He goes, you look pale. Are you okay? And I said, I saw a UFO dad. And my mom was like, oh, you did not. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. We discussed this. And she said, this is because you let her read those terrible books that you're always bringing home, you know, and on and on and on. And I just went upstairs. I, I just I didn't want to argue with her anymore. So he went and bought a paperback copy of it and tossed it in my lap. Like the next day, he's like, she's allowed to read whatever she wants. And just tossed it in my lap and went, there you go, kid. So that's fantastic. Yeah, that, <laughs> that was my introduction to Keel was dad so yeah we have it, it, we have a three generation yeah history man yep, with no, mothman. man yeah we really do we've got we've got granddad all the way to me yep all and the way to and knowing knowing my great-grandmother she would have read it too if it had existed when she was reading that yeah. is fantastic i that's something too where I feel so lucky because um, my mom and her family. So I spent a lot of time um, with them growing up. My grandma lives in southwestern Wisconsin near Platteville, and that's when I first initially became interested in everything weird. Is she would have these fantastic like the Reader's Digest compendiums of like all the weird stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I was like five. I'm wandering through this book and see like spontaneous human combustion. I was like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's got that haunting picture of like the slipper and the partial leg. Oh. Yeah, the foot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but sitting that, on the rug, and the rug's not really. Oh, I couldn't get that out scorched. Of, man, I tell you that, and the thought of the sun exploding. I had a lot keeping me up, but actually, ghosts <laughs> and other creepy things—that was the least of my problems. Spontaneous um, human combustion got me too. Oh yeah, I, yeah. I'm right um, there with you. But then too, so my grandma, like you know, she has an interest in that, um, and too my whole my mom's side of the family has a lot of experiences uh, mainly with like haunting type activity and ufos but it's funny because my grandma is almost like kind of a little superstitious she talks about ghosts almost like they're mice like the house was infested with ghosts because when she moved she kind of was like we don't really want to talk about that much here but she still has the books so she definitely um you know kind of kick-started my interest and then my mom when i was eight is the one responsible for my definite interest because you know i liked all this weird stuff and I also was really interested in kind of like more scientific, you know, mindset. My mom, because, you know, she grew up in the 70s. She remembered a lot of the old like mysteries and monsters, uh, like documentary that was out. And she was terrified of Bigfoot as a kid. Um, but then the years go by. She grew up. Um, she actually worked as a field archaeologist for the DNR um, before I was born. Oh, and so nice. she spent a lot of time, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And actually, there's this hilarious conversation she had once with a friend and coworker of hers. They were in the middle of nowhere. They had passed this creepy cemetery up north in Wisconsin somewhere. It was getting dark. And my mom turns and goes, it's a good thing I don't uh, believe in Bigfoot anymore. <laughs> so anyway, flash forward, I'm eight years old. She introduces me to Bigfoot. We start watching the shows. We start looking online, reading the books. And suddenly my mom is like, I don't think this is a hoax. I think this is actually a real phenomenon. So now she actually has her own separate interest in Bigfoot. And that's what kickstarted me. I was obsessed with cryptozoology 
for the longest time. And of course, when I started as a kid, I looked at it real separate. You know, I figured that cryptids mm-hmm. were just undiscovered animals. I was actually really ambivalent about ghosts for a while. Um, I think I watched too much Scooby-Doo. I remember when my mom yeah. and you know her family members were talking about the haunted house. I was like, I literally remember I was like probably eight or nine. I was like, well, are you sure someone wasn't like playing a trick on you? And they were just like, we're talking prophetic dreams and bed shaking. I don't really know how that's old man Jenkins, but whatever. <laughs> so, <laughs> as the years went by though, of course, I became interested in spectrology and then I kind of gathered ufology along the way until I hit that time in my late teens where I rediscovered Keel. Um, and that's where I am today, where I look at all this stuff as probably interconnected if not all of it being interconnected a very good portion of it being you know from the same Mm. or similar source so yeah i I tend to fall into the it's all interconnected camp much to my boyfriend's chagrin because pretty much the only thing he will solidly say might be real is bigfoot and he sounds like dr mccoy from star trek when he talks about it because he's just like Bigfoot is not an interdimensional space being. (laughs) So my boyfriend pretty much only, of all the things that I'm interested in, he will accept the possibility of Bigfoot over the rest of them. And he gets so frustrated because I think everything's like tied together. I have a very Keelian worldview. And he'll sound like Dr. McCoy from Star Trek and he'll be like, (laughs) Bigfoot ain't no damn interdimensional alien thing. (laughs) He's just a big ape. That is hilarious. <laughs> and I'm always like, but honey, there's folkloric significance too. And oh, he's like, yeah. no. Oh my <laughs> no, gosh. <laughs> but what about the spook lights? They don't happen. Okay. <laughs> Silent right. Invasion by Stan Gordon. The Bigfoot was holding the orbs of light. Come on, man. I know. And I'm like, but babes. And he's like, I, no, no, no. He's not connected to UFOs. <laughs> you can't have Bigfoot be an interdimensional space being. I will no. <laughs> Yeah, and he's funny because he's kind of a, a hairy dude anyway, so we kind of call him Bigfoot anyway. Because <laughs> when we're recording, sometimes he'll he'll be walking around upstairs and you can hear it through the mic of the stomping, and I'm like, oh, Bigfoot's awake. There he oh is. Oh, my gosh. That's we awesome. know where he is. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep, he's upstairs. <laughs> People get so funny about... Physics. Oh, my God. Bigfoot who studies physics. That's Now, that's the cryptid that we need. <laughs> yes. Right? Yes. It's so funny how people are, because again, my younger sister, Lily, um, does not have an interest in this, but she used to watch the shows, you know, a few of them, um, back when she was a kid and she couldn't be like, yeah, you know, I've, I've got a say in what we watch. But anyway, no, <laughs> we, we were talking recently about Bigfoot and I was like, she was like, I just, I don't think that he's real anymore. And I was like, what do you mean you don't think he's real anymore? Like, there's so much evidence. People report it. I'm not saying there is for sure a population of unknown, like, Gigantopithecus. I'm saying there's something that people are seeing. And she's like, well, you know, and I'm like, what about the Patterson-Gimlin footage? And she was like, no, no, I think that probably it was real and now it's extinct. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. (laughs) I guess I'll take that. But, you know, again, yeah, the folkloric significance, you can't really, but by that time, she's already falling asleep. As soon as I mention folkloric significance, she's like, eh. Yeah, yeah. She hears wah, 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 and, and then it's just, yeah, it goes I, in one I, ear, out the other. I like the, the concept that Bigfoot's gone extinct, though. That's a very 16th, 17th Protestant view of the Age of Miracles ended. 
<laughs> in the Middle Ages. Yes. It's over now. They happened, but they don't happen anymore. There we, we go. Have, we have to have a, a, a you know, there's a reformation. We gotta, we gotta have a reformation and change everything now. Stop everything that. has to make logical sense now. <laughs> And right. The world is not logical. That's my favorite thing about John Keel is everything about his books points to the world being a very illogical, strange place yeah. to the point where even the phone company doesn't make any sense. Everyone hates the phone company. <laughs> exactly. And so now we come to the the construction that Zelia made called the church of john keel which isn't a real church but it should be it should be because it's entertaining and uh, it would frustrate him to no end I hate it. which makes would, me giggle he would absolutely hate it um and, and he'd have many snide things to say about it i'm sure um so can you tell us how that came to be because i've seen the pamphlet i love it um so what what inspired the church of John Keel besides John Keel? Well, first of all, thank you very much. I had a heck of a fun time putting those together. Um, and it kind of came about because um, of my friend, Steve Ward. We first uh, met each other at the Van Meter Visitor Festival back in 2019. We were both speakers. And it was funny because I knew that he was a fan of Keel from like, you know, previous, I think I had seen part of his talk at 2018's Van Meter. And so I was like, oh, this guy knows Keel. And so I was presenting and I was sitting there like, okay, that's the guy to watch because he knows Keel. I'm using a lot of Keel's concepts and ideas. I'm talking, I'm using some of his examples. And the whole time he was, I could see that he was like watching me. And then he'd say an aside to, you know, the person sitting next to him. And the whole time I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, what does this mean? And the funny thing is, What's is that the whole saying? time, I know, I know the, the whole time he was turning aside and saying, sounds like she read John Keel. And then I hit <laughs> the end of it and I said Keel's name and he turns like she did read John Keel <laughs> and so you know we even ended up using the same rather obscure case of poor old Doc Priestley um, near the Monongahela National Forest yeah. where the Bigfoot like creature was spotted at the same exact moment his car burnt out not once but twice I love that case right. that is and, a great case oh yeah it's even better to know that he waited to report the case because he didn't want to scare his friends away from going back to the area with him to do some deer hunting later in the season so <laughs> you know people don't report for a variety of reasons um not wanting to scare your friends away because you want to go back and do some more hunting that's the first time i've seen that um but we both this ended up pure using... pragmatism oh yeah <laughs> doc priest was like you know there's a sasquatch up there or whatever it fried out my car but man we're going back up there to bag some deer like yeah, turkey hunting that wasn't enough for me, but no, we both used that case as an example um, in each of our uh, presentations back at Van Meter in 2019, and so it was just kind of like really interesting because again, you know, too, he always talks about how he has been in this for so long, and he kind of saw the evolution of Keel's work, um, you know, as it was happening. And I, you know, am here now. I'm just like it's all there and i have such an interest in that golden age of flying saucer research and everything and anomalies research and it's just cool to be able to have this friendship that kind of like spans you know honestly like a generation or two so yeah. from that we kind of jokingly call ourselves the parishioners of the church of john keel i don't remember which one of us came up with that first um but the name stuck at least for me and so i was like you know what we need 
we need pamphlets. <laughs> you do. <laughs> so, All good churches have pamphlets. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you need to put them under the windshield wipers of cars. <laughs> I know, right? Bumper and leave stickers them with, are the next leave thing. Them with tips at yeah. restaurants. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there we go. The fake dollar bills. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Except you know, I feel a... like John Keel would really tip. He was from New York. I feel like yes. tipping was oh, something yeah. that yeah, he Yeah, you leave a tip do. with it, but you, you there gotta we go. leave the pamphlet. See, know. first you have the tip, and then they see the disappointment, but then there's a real tip. So it's kind of, it's like in Keel's same vein. The world is a very surprising place. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A roller coaster of emotions there. <laughs> but... <laughs> now, the ultimate would be, you know how there's a Bible in every hotel room? We could get a copy of the Mothman <gasps> Prophecies or maybe the Eighth Tower. And, you know, Put Operation every... Trojan Horse, would be, I think, would induce the proper state of paranoia. There we go. Because I've never understood the Bible in every hotel room. Because, I mean, yeah. to me, the Bible is a stressful book. It is. You know, I'd, I'd agree with that estimation. <laughs> Like, I I don't know why, like, because is it so people can pray before they go to sleep? It, it's not light reading. No, mm-hmm. no, no. Like, and people who feel the need to read the Bible all the time usually carry it with them. Their own way. Bible. Yeah. Yeah. That's a very good point. I, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't really, I don't really I'm just get saying that. A, a pocket operation Trojan horse. I think that would be a nice addition. Yes. <laughs> yes. We should do, Absolutely. somehow we should do this. Absolutely. Um, so what are the tenets of the Church of John Keel? So in keeping with the theme, um, we've got the eight towers of John Keel. So tower one is belief is the enemy. Okay. Tower two is never exactly run, just walk pretty fast, which is one of my favorite witness comments that he ever included. Yes. Yes. That's oh, yeah. a great one. Tower three is this planet is haunted by us. Tower four, there is a great phonograph in the sky causing a single groove, single groove, single groove, single groove. Tower five, everyone hates the telephone company. Tower six, you can't tell the players without the scorecard. Tower seven, always search for the string. And tower eight, high strangeness will save us. Perfect. Perfect. I feel like I need like, a choir in the background, you know? like Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You need some amens shouted. Like <laughs> we, we kind of let you down. We should have been like in between. We should have been. Yeah, come on, amens. guys. <laughs> testify, testify. Yeah, uh, belief is the enemy. Being the first tenet of the church is perfect perfection. You, you could have just left it that way, you know. But but the fact that you have eight of them for you know the eight towers is just perfect. Thank you. Know. you just hilarious um yes and the the never never exactly run but walk real fast we call that in our family either um a high-speed nonchalant which is when you put your hands in your pockets and kind of look the other way and then very quickly walk in a in a direction away from whatever it is that that you don't want it to notice you and we also the quotation that so, Morgana always thinks of. My favorite movie as a small child was The Last Unicorn. Oh. Because my mom has good tastes in children's movies. Yeah. Um, I've seen that one. That's actually where my mom movie. got. Because um, oh, I haven't seen it in a long time. But one of the lead characters is named Lily, right? Or yeah. am I? Yeah. Yes. That's where she got my um, younger sister's name, actually. Aww. That's awesome. Yeah. 
But what stuck in my head, because mom, I remember watching it at the Falling Down the Hill house, um, which is what we call the house my parents lived in um, when I was about two and a half, because it was quite literally falling down the hill. That's a good Um, name for it then. (laughs) And it was, that was the house with a lot of fairy activity. Um, And other weird stuff. Weird stuff. But I remember the line happened, which is never run from anything immortal. It only attracts their attention. And my mom looked Mm. down at me and went, that's true. Remember Uh, that. (laughs) That is indeed the truth. And yes, I taught you the high speed nonchalant. (laughs) Just walk real fast, honey. Hold my hand. Don't look back. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Cause you can't let them know that, you know, (laughs) Oh no, no, I didn't see anything. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm fine. We're all fine here. Everything's dandy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Um, and another one is, uh, I love High Strangeness Will Save Us because one of the things I think that the entire purpose of all of this paranormal oddness, if it has a purpose, which probably goes against anything Keel would you know, say, is that it helps us evolve because yeah. it helps us question and wonder and try to find answers and look at the sky and come up with new ideas. So I really like the idea of high strangeness saving us. I appreciate it from a slight, from more of the perspective of Dr. Jack Hunter, where he's got mm. that whole idea of the ecolo- paranormal being linked to ecology mm-hmm. yeah. and linked to us starting to try and take better care of our planet and each other. And I Mm -hmm. also think that the paranormal is the place where we have drawn religion from. In my more paranoid Mm -hmm. moments, I think that the paranormal deliberately creates religion so we can believe in them, so they can mess with us. Messengers of deception, Jacques Vallée. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And so we can feed them more effectively. Mm. Um, But that's my more paranoid moments, my more optimistic moments. I'm like, maybe this is just a sort of spiritual awakening from forces that have always been around us to try and get us to save ourselves and stop impacting our planet so negatively. Negatively. There there you get Whitley Strieber and and Jeffrey Kripal coming in. Their book, The Supernatural. I mm-hmm. love that so very much. That yeah, was... I need to reread that. It's been a while. Yeah, that was fantastic. No, I, I get what you mean, because I feel like there's always kind of like, because I do, I try and look at the paranormal very objectively. Um, it's funny because even like, you know, I, it wasn't until recently, recently-ish in this like last year or two, someone asked me on a podcast, because I have had personal experiences. They were like, so do you think that's why you're interested in this? I had never made the connection. I like literally was like, that stuff happens. Sure. My interest is the primary directive here. Like that is what I'm doing, you know, and I had never mm-hmm. even bridged that gap between them. I sort of even any experiences I had or family members, I've kind of filed them away like, oh, yeah. And then on this date, this person who's this age, you know, this happened. Um, but no, so I try and approach it very objectively. And at the end of the day, there is still that almost decision you have to make negative, positive, neutral. And I know that Keel 
And I think on his best days, seemed to think it was neutral. On his worst days, yeah. yeah. <laughs> on his worst days, it's something Lovecraftian. You know, yes. and on the flip side, um, you have another of my favorite books, which is Daemonic Reality by Patrick Harper, yes. where he looks at it as more of like an evolutionary force, you know, in the concept of Young's daemons, something that kind of spurs us forward. And, you know, at the end of the day, I wonder if it's a decision at all or if it's all just, you know, some amalgam of each of those options, both positive and negative, driving forth and also causing us to kind of fall two steps back, you know, because it is there's very there's a trickster element to it, something that's oh, really yeah. confounding. So. And even if, you know, the trickster archetype is there to teach you things the other side of the trickster archetype is it's also there to just mess with you. Exactly. <laughs> for fun. Oh yeah. Can, and it has a great can, deal yeah. of fun with it. Yeah, exactly. You can't rightfully ask, okay, so is this the lesson or is this just, you know, what you do on the weekends, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you what can day ask, is it in Ganymede? <laughs> what, you're yeah. not going to get a straight answer. And if exactly. you do get a straight answer, that straight answer is probably a lie. Oh yeah. Or wrong. Just, just wrong. You know, not a lie that didn't intentionally get it wrong. It's just wrong. <laughs> uh, because even when Coyote doesn't lie, he's often wrong. So, you know, that's just just how it goes. I love that. Um, you know, I, I think that it's probably all of the above. I think it is both um, good for humanity and feeding from humanity. Um, I, I think it's, it's like any other dichotomous force that it's mm -hmm. going to be both and, and then there's all that stuff in the middle, you know? Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, if you look at all religions, all spiritual belief systems, there's always a good and an evil. And mm -hmm. then there's all the little things in between and humans, you know, can interact with any of the above. And we do. Mm -hmm. And we always have. And I think I think what what I like about it is uh, you can I try to go in the middle path and try to balance between um, oh, everything's good and everything's evil and just try to mm -hmm. walk in the in the gray middle there and you know interact with what comes to me but not try not to pin too much importance on it yeah oh yeah well i think that you know another kind of really great example of the sort of halfway point that all this stuff is is in the physicality and immateriality of these encounters oh. you know because so many people like the i mean the main conventional way of looking at these things even if you just look at cryptids or bigfoot as a great example you know flesh and blood that's been kind of how it's been running um, since people became really interested in this. And that does account for, yeah, there's tracks left. There's um, trace evidence. These things seem to be able to interact. And then you get something like the Rochdale, Indiana case, where it was also translucent and bullets went right through it. And it yep. appeared almost as a poltergeist. And yep. so often, I think we try and make that distinction. We try and say, well, this one is immaterial and that one is physical. And that's where it is. But so many of these cases seem to lie at some halfway point between them where they can be both. And I do think like in keeping with the high strangeness will save us, you know, I think that's a really great metaphor for as a culture, you know, how we need to quit being so polarized, 
and look at things as, you know, inclusive as opposed to exclusive. And yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's interesting that uh, in, in that sense, uh, Keel would say that the lights that people saw were the real phenomena, quote unquote, and that's, you know, generally seen as an ephemeral thing, a light. Light is, you know, a particle in a wave, but it's not solid generally. Um, and then the rest of it, when you saw physical things, it was manifesting in your mind or it was manifesting out of the light and becoming physical. And so he was talking about it could be at one moment non-physical and the next physical that was revolutionary for me when i read that because i think I'm trying to remember exactly i think it was an operation trojan horse where he specifically said how so much importance is placed on the hard sightings you know the craft how big was it where was it what color was it um you know there's so much importance placed on that while all of these lights are just kind of the soft sightings no one really cares about those, but those are far more prevalent. And you even see that, you know, today, I think people are finally starting mm -hmm. to look at that and be like, oh, what is up with all of this? You know, why are they being, that's something I've always been interested in. Why are they spotted with cryptids? Why are they spotted also in haunted houses? You know, mm -hmm. across the board, we've got these lights. And I know that was absolutely revolutionary when he kind of was like, maybe we're looking at the wrong thing. <laughs> and I think it's that sort of thinking that really... Um, that's what sets Keel apart as a researcher and investigator is the ability to be like, we're all looking over here. What's going on over there? Yeah. Look, look at the dancing monkey is what we call it. You know, yeah. it's like the, the dancing monkey is the, is the uh, solid craft or the seemingly solid, you know, monster or whatever. And what's actually happening is the lights. The mm -hmm. lights are what fascinate me. That's actually what I've mostly seen most of my life. Are They're generally small. They're generally closer to the ground. But I've seen them in the air much larger as well. Um, oh, yeah. Lights. And they, they can take shapes. I almost feel like the lights are actually the native form of whatever it is we're dealing with. And then it, it can take shape into whatever form it wants to interact with you in, yeah. you know? So that's, I'm doing literature review right now on little lights, lights everywhere. There are so many light lights everywhere sightings. I, I keep finding them in books where it's about stuff that has nothing to do yeah. with lights. Oh, I yeah. find them and then I'm like, Oh, there's another one. You know, I've got so many, I'm going to, you know, take buy stock in the post-it notes, like, you know, yeah. corporation. I think it's 3M. <laughs> I'm going to buy stock in that because I'm buying all of their post-it notes and they're everywhere um, in my books because they're ev the lights are everywhere. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I I know, too. That's um, most of, like, I don't want to say most, but two of my really, like, um, I don't even know, not to say most important, but the things that affected me the most had to do with simply light anomalies. You know, it's like you tell someone who hasn't seen it and they're like, it was a light. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, no, it was a, it was a light. <laughs> like there is something when you experience that, that's very just, it's visceral and it's very mm -hmm. almost shocking, you know, in a totally neutral way. I'm sure people have very positive, very negative experiences there, but you know, there is just an element of it, which is incredibly, it feels very close, you know, mm -hmm. so would you 
would you feel comfortable recounting? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, I so, always want to hear light stories. So. The one, the one that was uh, this happened actually around the time that I first rediscovered Keel. So I was in my like mid to late teens, and this is one of those that, you know. It, at the time, I actually was less freaked out about it than I am now. And I use the term freaked out not in a negative connotation. It's a very intriguing thing that I'm still trying to kind of wrap my head around. Um, but the house where I live is an old Gothic Victorian home. It's actually built in the shape of a cross um, to mimic oh. the cathedrals. Yeah. And we know every like family that lived here. We actually visit the guy who built it on his death day um, over in the cemetery because we know where he's buried, which I know sounds really macabre, but no, you know, it's part of the history. Cool. And um, we've had some weird stuff happen here. Um, not like any classic, like, you know, green giggling ghost from Scooby-Doo or anything like that. But, you know, just weird things. But this was something that at the time I didn't really fit into anything because, again, just had rediscovered Kiel. I woke up in the middle of the night and I know immediately everyone's going to be like, okay, hypnagogic hallucination. Um, personally, because I have experienced that, I do think this is something separate. Or maybe they're both connected. Because again, that's one of those issues that kind of, for me, sits on the boundary. Like, you know, so many people discount anything dreamlike. But then you've got Carl Jung, who's like, okay, there's importance here. I tend to think mm -hmm. there's importance there. Anyways, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was this, I can only describe it as a pillar of magenta, like fire or light um, by my bedside. It was the weirdest thing I had ever experienced because it was self-contained. And when I say pillar, I do mean it was like, you know, this almost vaguely cylindrical, just self-contained magenta light. And I looked at it and this happened a few nights and I should have, this is another thing, I should have taken notes when this happened. You'd think you would, but you just, I didn't. You'd, yeah. yeah. And so I don't remember if it was over the course of a week, a couple weeks, but this would happen repeatedly. And finally, one night I awakened and there it was and I looked at it and then suddenly it was like all my vision, like that was it. That's all I could see. And it was honestly quite terrifying, you know, thinking back to it. Mm -hmm. And then it just was done. But it felt like so close, very, very close. And I was just, you know, absolutely like lying there. Just you couldn't really do anything. It was weird. It was very strange. And it, to this day, it's kind of still hard to describe. Um, but then years later, you know, I'm reading through like Keel. And apparently when he was in his... Um, late teens, he had an experience where he was wakened mm -hmm. by pink or magenta light in his bedroom. Yep. I was about to say, just like you. And pink. I was just like blown mm -hmm. away. <laughs> totally. Because there, you know, it's one thing to experience something. It's one thing to read about something. But then to hear your experience told from someone else, and especially someone who, you know, I mean, it's John Keel. Come on. You know, yeah. I was, I actually, I think it was on a podcast that I first heard that and I literally paused it and was just like, wait a second, back it up. Wait, where? What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was, I, that would be, yeah. Yeah. That was the one that just really kind of blew me away. Um, and then the second instance was, gosh, I think in March of 2011, I am terrible with years, so you'll have to forgive me, but I think it was March of 2011. Um, it was kind of a long involved story, but to kind of like, cut to the chase my mom was out of the house and she called home because she was driving you know back home and she thought she saw a giant construction crane in the sprawling metropolis of where i live in beaver dam which is pretty much the middle of the twilight zone you know she thought she saw this huge construction crane with lights on it 
And she was like, well, what's what's going up over there? You know, I I didn't hear of any crazy new building project. And then she realized there's no crane at all. It's just these lights. And so immediately she calls home. She's like, you guys need to go outside. There's something in the sky. So my sisters and I ran outside and hanging right above the intersection outside of our house, because my house is located on a corner. There's these four just balls of light. And I mean, they were like perfect. They were kind of this amber color, um, no variation in the light, no flickering, just this really even light source and perfectly spherical. Because believe me, I know those gosh darn Chinese lanterns. It was not Chinese lanterns. <laughs> it was these perfect spheres of light. And they were hovering only, I want to say, maybe two-ish stories above the ground. So they were very close. Um, it was also it was kind of like an overcast night. So it was weird because like the city light was kind of reflecting up. So it wasn't super dark out, even though it was pretty late. I don't remember exactly mm -hmm. what time it was. And so they're just they're floating in this perfectly fixed parallelogram formation right over the intersection. And finally, my mom rolls up in the car and she gets out. We're all watching these things. And suddenly one starts blinking really rhythmically and slow. And then it blinks out and it's just done. And there's nothing behind it. And then the second one does the same thing. It just starts really rhythmic and then faster and then it's gone. And then the next one and the next one. And it was totally gone. There was nothing behind it. Um, no debris left over if it was a lantern or something like that. So we're standing there still just kind of like dumbfounded looking to see what else you know might happen. And then suddenly this kid tears down the street and through the yard and he runs across the street and up into the house and he closes the door and we're like, okay, he saw something. So we actually went across the street and we knocked on the door and this super frightened looking kid answers the door. And you know we asked the pretty obvious question. We're like, hey, so did you happen to see, before we can finish, he's like, you guys don't understand. This is the second time they came over. He's like, I was over at the school playground, like several blocks away. And they came over once and I thought they were gone. And then they came over again. And so I guess that's when he got like super freaked out, probably thought it was the Martians or the Venusians or something, decided to run home. Um, but yeah, yeah, that again, too, was just it was happening too at a kind of um, difficult time for my family. And so the timing of that event was really interesting um, that we saw these four lights, you know, right outside of our house. It was just again really surreal when you see something like that and you expect there to be some sort of like even me you know i do believe in the possibility of all of these things happening otherwise i wouldn't be researching this um but when you see that and you do you're trying to rationalize you're trying to think okay it's lanterns it's balloons it's a drone it's mm -hmm. anything and you run out of options you know and yeah. you're left with this surreal you know event um yeah it was just amazing yeah I've, I've seen, I've seen, a, I've only seen what I could class as a UFO, a big one once in my life. And it was very similar to what you're describing. Oh, and wow. you do, you just stand there. Yeah. You just stand there and stare at it and you go, is it, is it lanterns? No, it can't be. They're not moving right. They're perfectly silent. What is that? And finally you just run out of things it could be and accept that no, you're, I'm seeing something extremely strange. Yeah. And you just marvel at it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly the word. Yeah. And then, I know, and, then yeah. yeah, you just wonder about it after that. And if you have a camera in your hand, you don't take a picture because your brain is too busy going on about what is it? Oh, yeah. You know? 
Yeah, definitely. And then too, you know, it is, it's really difficult to try and you know explain to someone who hasn't had an experience like that, even though it's funny, my icebreaker is kind of like Mulder. I'm like, Hey, have you ever seen a UFO? You know, when I first meet someone, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. you, get a, you get a yes answer more often. You do. Than you you do. I was going to say, yeah, you don't, you know, I kind of like, you know, it's funny because culture dictates like, Oh, that's the fringe, you know, no one believes in this except for those kooks and tinfoil hats. But then, you know, ask people so anything weird ever happened to you and more often than not either they'll say yes and then they'll tell me or they'll be like no but my friend or no but my mom yep, or no, my, my grandma, cousin you know yeah exactly and yep. so the belief is more widespread than um conventional culture dictates which i've always find really funny i can never bridge that gap especially when you see like if you ever see those polls they're like 98 percent of americans believe in ufos I'm like, okay, believe in UFOs is a hilarious phrase for one thing, um, because, you know, right. we're not saying what they are. They're just unidentified and they're up there. And yes, that happens. Um, but regardless, you know, okay, so 98% of Americans, yet we're still leaving it to the end of the newsreel when someone sees something, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's still frustrating. Even if there's video or film mm -hmm. or whatever, it's still, it's, 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 you talk about it at the very end and then everybody laughs. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then the news is over. And yeah. Even yeah. with even with the Pentagon being like straight up, yeah, there's UAPs and it's a thing and we're worried about it. We don't know, we what, know it what they are. We're pretty oh, sure goodness. it's not the Chinese or the Russians. Ed, it's yeah. not us. So yeah. That oh, that whole thing. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that can you of worms. Yeah, that is, is a can, a can of, worms. of worms. Yeah, I, I will say this: what really bothers me, because um, I I vaguely kept up with it. The funny thing is, because I think because of my um, YouTube handle, people always think I'm really into conspiracies. Ironically, I am not. I'm much more into the kind again, like the culturally esoteric, the folkloric side of all yeah. this stuff. Right. And um, my mistake for using that name, but oh well. <laughs> um, but so you know, I vaguely kept up on it, but the whole time I was just like I. I was very pessimistic to say the least. I just didn't think much oh, would yeah. come of it. And the one thing I did catch was there was like uh, some news special where they're like, oh, we're going to talk about the UAP, you know, stuff going on. And what bothered me the most is that I do believe that there is um, a reflective ability to all this stuff, you know, the anomalies. Mm, yes. And if they are reflecting now, they've got the script. They're like, okay, we're extraterrestrials again. <laughs> yeah. Because there was such a focus on you know the stuff being purely physical and that again is something that just bothers me because once you say well it is a physical craft you know that registered on radar okay it did it also performed like a 90 degree turn at like a billion miles per hour <laughs> it's not physical as we so understand explain it. that <laughs> yeah and that that was the frustrating thing for me and also too um the insistence that it's a new phenomenon was another thing another yeah, part of the narrative weird. that was being pinned down i'm like what? Not to pull an ancient aliens, but, you yeah. know, this yeah. has been happening, as Keel says, probably longer than we have. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, mean, I know even, that was... Even if you don't want to go all the way back through history and talk about chariots of fire and things. Yeah. I mean, the airship flap. <laughs> yep, of the late 18... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the it... ties, too, to, um, you know, different phenomena, such as I am, you know very f interested in the fairy faith and its connections you know and 
again, so many people look at, oh, well, we now know what the fairies are. They're aliens. No, that's no. not what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's some great <laughs> big unknown, which has always been alongside us, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. No, that was just, that was forever yeah, entertaining the- in a shake my head sort of way, listening to all those just and and, yeah. and people being so disappointed at the disclosure i'm like but they said they didn't know what it was y'all yeah. that's like that's like a thing y'all you don't that that you... was the exciting part yeah <laughs> exactly they yeah. actually admitted that they didn't know what it was but it that it was a thing that yes. there w- there was a thing happening we don't know what it is and we're pretty sure it's not the chinese or the russians and we know it's not us that is that is I was big. excited about that news. Yeah. 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 That was huge. It, I was like, oh my God, they actually said that? Yes. You know, because pretty much before it was, it's weather balloons. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a, it, it's a new test. It's Venus. Yeah, it's Venus. Everyone saw it's Venus. Swamp, it's swamp gas. It's the things. Yeah. The wind making the stars sway. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that one. Oh yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah, and and to have the government actually, the Pentagon actually say something that revealing is mm-hmm. amazing. But yeah, a lot of the the newer UFO people are like, I can't believe they said that. I'm like, what do you want from these people? They they actually admit they want an alien body at Wright Pat. Exactly. They're not going to get that's one. What they want. I'll, I'll admit, if disclosure was like, okay, guys, we now know it's it's the Lemurians from the planet way out there, you know, a point, whatever. I would have been really disappointed because that's when I would have been like, so what is it really? Yeah. <laughs> the admission, yeah, yeah. the admission yeah. of ignorance was something that was very important to me because yes, yeah, it's finally saying, well, guys, we don't know. And maybe if the U.S. government is admitting that it doesn't know, the U.S. government can go talk to some paranormal and people (laughs) and be like, what do you guys think it is? Yeah, exactly. They can talk to us. They can talk to the to the well, religious studies I, people. I don't well, you know what I mean. Government. Well, you know what I mean. That. They can talk to the paranormalists. <laughs> they can talk to the UFO people, and they can talk to scientists. Finally, scientists are kind of allowed yes. to like get in there. That was the not, other good thing, and not be you know yep. laughed at. That is the other good thing that came of it. Is I do think that it brought it brought the interest to the forefront, and also brought a little bit more acceptance. Yeah. You know, which always runs the risk again of solidifying, you know, the concept back into the nuts and bolts theories. But hey, you know, to be to have the fringe kind of become a little less fringe is always a good thing because the more interest you can get on this, you know, I think that's that is the thing too is that people need to be shown it's okay to have this interest, you know, because mm-hmm. again, I was very lucky to have a family that was supportive, you know, and you guys too. I mean, seriously, like it's very rare to have that. Mm-hmm. So many people are just kind of like you know, maybe they've had an experience and then we're told don't talk about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's very common. Yeah. That I do count myself extremely lucky that, you know, my mom has had experiences and my dad actually had experiences. And so it was, it was just, my grandparents were like, yeah, you, we live in a haunted house. It's okay that you saw the dude in the mirror. That happens. Don't be freaked out. He doesn't exactly. do anything. <laughs> yeah. Cause so yeah. much of that fear too, I think is in it almost as a taboo. Like you've seen something that you shouldn't. 
Yeah. That's where a lot of that shock and that fear and that, oh, it's secret. You know, yeah. That's where a lot of that comes from with people. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why we started the, the podcast so that we could, you know, essentially come out of the experiencer closet and be like, look, y'all, I, I think it's way more common than, Mm -hmm. than we're allowed to believe. And if you've seen something, it's okay. You know, nobody's, I mean, some people are going to think worse of you, but there's a lot more of us out here than you think there are. And, you know, the world isn't going to end because you saw a ghost, an alien, uh, whatever. You hopefully know. well hopefully yeah. they don't hopefully they don't choose to like pull a injured cold and mess with you hardcore yeah because yeah, <laughs> woodrow Derenberger had a hard time oh he yeah did. yeah i was mega freaked out i found out he died on my birthday not the year oh. but like the day same with stanley kubrick i'm like what the oh, heck no. <laughs> wow oh yeah that was one of, and that was one of those great moments from looking i was like okay coincidence synchronicity coincidence synchronicity because you do you do have to try and decide yeah Yeah. and eventually you know i've got a whole giant like mental file of don't know (laughs) (laughs) and don't know is fine again oh yeah don't know is 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 fine that's better than oh yes i know exactly this and yeah because then you're, then the belief is the enemy is coming into play. Absolutely, you got the beliefs, um, and that that can cause all sorts of foolishness to happen. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I am you know, interested to see where the f- reflexivity of the phenomena goes from here, because yes. we've had such an increase in the acceptance of the paranormal lately. Like we've got. We've we've had for since I want to say two thousand eight somewhere in there we've had like an increase in you know ghost hunting TV shows and now mm-hmm. we've got ghost hunting YouTube and we've oh, yeah. got disclosure happening and we've got just everybody's into psychics everybody's into this sort of thing all of a sudden like it's become so much more mainstream I'm wondering if this is going to end up helping the phenomena pick faces, yeah. which makes it seem like they just reach into a wardrobe, but that's what I almost feel like they do. If it's going to help them pick faces or if there are going to be too many faces to pick. I am right there with you. I've wondered the exact same thing because like looking at, you know, it's hard to even pin down when I, my thing is I use these terms and I'm like, okay, but none of these terms are actually like definite. You know, yeah, like exactly. these fields, yeah. And so when I say like you can trace like you know, okay, the flying saucers and the space brothers, and then you know the different alien, you know, races and things that people claim to see, and you can kind of trace very similar patterns right through the airship flap of the eighteen late eighteen hundreds mm-hmm. um, into the early nineteen hundreds, and you can see how you know that reflected the technology of that era. This like a little bit past it technically, yeah. Um, and then this reflects a little bit past where we are technologically. And then you go even further and it ties definitely to the fairies. I'm like, okay, what's the next thing on this slope? And I know for me, my concern um, actually is the, which is sad to say, the ultra terrestrial or interdimensional bandwagon. Because mm. I love that concept of the ultra terrestrial, but of course, Keel kind of used that more of a literary term. Um, and my concern here is that, you know, it's almost like outer space 
it ain't big enough for the two of us anymore. And now the space aliens are even outsourcing to people saying, okay, they are definitely interdimensional, which still gives this kind of definitive, almost physicality to them, um, which I feel like is the one thing that we shouldn't be pinning on whatever this big anomalous thing is. So that's yeah. kind of, that's my concern is that it's almost solidifying into that concept, which again, Keel would just be like, probably pulling his hair out saying no yeah. no no it was a literary term it was a term guys yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah i didn't mean my... it literally man <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly so that that's my concern and i guess where i kind of see it going um but yeah i don't know and then sometimes too i wonder if a lot of these things the thing i'm always wondering with the phenomenon is kind of where objectivity and subjectivity meet you know like yes. where what belongs to the phenomenon, what belongs to us? Because many times I wonder too, if it almost clothes itself in what we would perceive it as, that we're actually the ones providing the mask, so to speak, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to like, like you're saying the phenomenon reaches into its costume trunk and pulls on, you know, the Bigfoot mask. If that's almost the translation that occurs on the witness side, then it gets yeah. tricky with, you know, okay, you've got five witnesses who see the same thing or very similar things. How does that work? It, it is such a messy tangled web. And I just, I love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I also, I, I agree with you. I think some of it is we filter. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. What we're seeing individually. And I wonder with, you know, the spread and cultural exchange that's happened since the sixties, mm -hmm. like it's good. It seems to me that it's going to become increasingly hard for five different people to all see the same thing because yeah. you've got somebody who's a Chinese Taoist and you've got like a Hindu dude and you've got just a Catholic lady and all, and then you've got the atheist and they're all just hanging out in college and they see a light. Mm -hmm. Is the what light does it translate into? How is it going to yeah. translate with all that input? Exactly. Yeah. And I wonder too sometimes, you know, because it's interesting because so many cases have slight variances in what people mm -hmm. see. Like even the Betty and Barney Hill case, um, I believe it was yeah. Barney said that they had noses, Betty said that they didn't, um, unless I'm getting that backwards. Um, the Cusack encounter, the French encounter with devils, with two young children who were driving cows. Um, the younger girl said that she saw landing gear and the boy right. claimed that there was no landing gear. Um, so I always wonder too, like, is... You know, because the weird thing is, the weird thing is if it was completely subjective and if this was just sort of some thing that happens where there's the anomaly and maybe it is just a light form and then it's translated, you would almost expect that people would see completely different things all the time. But instead, you have a strong core of something mm -hmm. similar, usually with variations. And that's where, you know, I have to wonder, is it kind of like the collective unconscious? Um, possibly, does it have to do with um, certain people have a better ability to, you know, like ESP, um, where, you know, maybe one mm -hmm. person in the group of five almost kind of hijacks the whole experience and it's their vision, yeah. which is the main one. You know, mm -hmm. I think a lot of this too, and again, you know, people are usually kind of afraid to go here, but I think a lot of this has to do with a lot of the way that we experience dreams. Um, the reason I say that is because um, my sisters and I, and actually my mom too, we're very close. And a lot of the times we have almost shared dreams where it's like, we'll all dream of the same theme. That happens a lot. Got to the point recently with my youngest sister, Chloe, where it actually seemed as though we walked in on the same narrative. And it was, it's an eerie feeling 
you know, because it wasn't like we had watched a movie about like, you know, it wasn't like we watched Sharknado and then one of us had a dream about sharks, one of us had a dream about a tornado. It was like an actual, like the same narrative. And so I think that that might be kind of where we can start looking to, you know, okay, why is it showing up in this way? Who's responsible for this? Is it the other or is it us? Is it one among, one among us? What determines that um, is probably in the, you know, uh, shared ESP type experiences of people. That might be kind of how we can start sifting through all of the iconography and symbolism that happens in these encounters. Yeah. And one of the things I wondered about, um, because when I lived in the falling down the hill house, it was one of the loci of a bunch of group sightings of little lights primarily, but also humanoids that seem to be made out of light and oh, wow. other things, you know, weird noises, yeah. music outside, the sound of horses running past the house with riders on them because you could hear the bridles and the oh, uh, wow. squeak of the saddles, of weight shifting in a saddle. It was really weird, but there was absolutely nothing. It sounded like it was right next to the house. And we looked out the window and there was nothing. That is um, amazing, might I just yeah, say. <laughs> that is just, Yeah. Um, but, you know, it also appeared around my friend's houses. Mm-hmm. And I wondered for a long time if part of the reason that it appeared so often as as the fairy folk or the fae folk or the good folk was because it was picking stuff out of my mind mm-hmm. and clothing itself in that. And then everyone else saw it that way. I mean, I'm really... I'm if I'm with a group of people and we start seeing weird stuff, I try not to say what I'm looking at. Yeah. I want to hear what other people say because I'm stubborn. What they say is not going to change what I see. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't necessarily trust other people to be as stubborn as I am. So they might be, you know, swayed by what I say that I saw. But that was, you know, I've wondered that if there's, if they like pick a person and sort of riffle through their mind and go, oh, well, these are the shapes we're going to take, you know, for these people. And they, they take it and there's just these little variations. The other thing I wonder about too is when you have two people like the landing gear and the not landing gear, it may be a difference in what a person observes by what they think is important. Mm, yeah. Like the boy may have thought the overall shape of the thing was the thing his mind focused on. And his sister might have thought, well, it has to sit on the ground. So it has things to sit on the ground. And that's so she noticed that. It may be that it had landing gear and he didn't see it or it may have been that it didn't have landing gear and she believed that it did so it, she saw it you know what i mean oh yeah be, there's so many either of those things that's the problem too is the variables in observancy <sighs> yeah like i mean you can take a mundane object and have two different people describe it and they'll come away with different things mm-hmm. so, we can't even agree on colors oh the dress like, <laughs> like we can't yes, even agree on shoes. colors the yeah. dress <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and yeah. I'm an artist and and you know, so I colors are like a, a 
big thing to me. And those that dress and those shoes drives me crazy because I can make myself see it both ways. Yes. I, I, I naturally see it both ways at the same it, time. Uh huh. And I then I'll see why. it both ways at the same time. And so my, my vision will flip back and forth and then I get a headache and then I have to stop. I also think, I think that some people, I, like you said, it might be, so, I, I am very old fashioned. Um, and I'm just going to admit this right now. I totally believe in ESP and psi phenomena. Um, but I think that the reason some people see stuff more often than others is it's just the sight. It might be psi, but it's, mm -hmm. I, I learned too much about the fairy faith as a child, so <laughs> I, def just I default to, stuff. to some people have the sight and some people don't, and some people see better than others, and I yeah. don't. There, I don't question me, that. There's a worth to that because so often, um, you know, it's like okay, the big question: Why does this person have more paranormal experiences than that one? Why is this location a hot spot and this one isn't? And at the end of the day, you know, you can try a million theories, and there are a million theories, and there's a lot of people doing research into these different variables. It always circles back to, well, we don't really know. And that admission, yeah. again, is of huge worth to me to kind of be able to sit there with that and, you know, kind of sit with the mystery of it all. Um, of course, that doesn't mean quit looking. Um, but oh, God, just, no. You know, like so often nah. the hot spot one gets me because people will be like, well, what about is it the like I've heard limestone, I've heard water, I've heard geomagnetism, I've heard like psychic ability of the people. I'm like, OK, those all sound like good options. And then there's a place that totally discounts that. It's like, OK, well, there's more paranormal activity here because of the water and the limestone. Then you're in the middle of some place with absolutely no water, no limestone. And there's a ton of stuff going on. Right. I'm like, then what is OK? It? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, at the end of the day, it is there's that just kind of lingering question. And I'm like, I truly don't know if we'll ever really answer this. <laughs> I have a terrible feeling that, you know, when it comes to, you know, quartz, limestone, granite, water, uh, ground conductivity, lightning strikes. I'm trying to think of all of them. Carbon deposits. Oh, caves. Electro caves. Mines. Electromagnetic, uh, electromagnetic anomalies. Geomagnetic anomalies geothermal um all of that all that stuff fault lines fault lines <laughs> i think we're gonna we're gonna go through all of that and and find some patterns but as soon as we do that and as soon yep. as we pin something down this window area is caused by this or these window areas are caused by this and it's cyclical every Five years, you know, I'm the just throwing, I'm throwing, <laughs> oh God, I forgot the sunspots, solar storms. That's a big yeah. one. And, you know, I'm going to throw all that in there and we're going to figure out, okay, every 10, 15 years in this spot over the past 200 years, weird things have happened. They cluster right here. There they are. There it is. It will turn right around and yes. there'll be all kinds of stuff happening somewhere where it has never happened before. We're completely out of, of pattern. Completely <laughs> out of pattern yeah. where there is no any of those things that we have theorized have anything to do with it. It will do it. It's contrary. I know it will. 
It just I will. 100% agree with that. <laughs> like, well, because, yeah, it reminds me of one of my favorite anecdotes from Keel, where he said that he started toying with the idea that the phenomenon was reflective. I'm sure you guys will know exactly mm-hmm. what story I'm talking about. Yep. 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 And I love this because he was toying with that idea and he was getting sick of it because he, no sooner would he write something to someone or he talked to someone on the phone and a case would pop up and be like, oh, yeah, it confirms that, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was driving him nuts. And so as a joke, he thought, ah, what if what if the men in black had gills? What if these things were semi-aquatic? You know, maybe that's why they wear turtlenecks. And like, I think it was later that week, he got a letter from someone in Florida saying that he had hitchhiked and he was picked up by a strange guy, fit the men in black type profile, wearing a turtleneck. As soon as he was about to get out of the car, the guy pulled down the turtleneck to reveal gills. Yep. And that... Again, that was yep. one of those moments. I had so many moments reading Keel where it was just like revelations, you know, mm-hmm. that's the church of John Keel again. Um, and that was one of those moments where I was just like, you know, and not to say like hit with the almost nonsense of trying to pin this down, but in a sense, yeah. Because if you're dealing with something which is so capable of reflecting your beliefs back to you, or if you find some nugget of truth, you think you've got it, it just refutes that. Mm-hmm. it's it's it'll, amazing you know to me at least right around this is exciting that. you know yeah i try yeah to me, i don't look at this in a awesome. negative way at all yeah it's you know it's just truly fantastic and you know my other favorite keel reflective thing is in a in one of his talks he he's he's talking about communicating with the lights in the sky in the ohio river valley yes. during the mothman uh sightings years and he's like he's using this high-powered flashlight and he's doing morse code Mm -hmm. to you know go up move east you know blink three times he's asking it through morse code to do these things and it does it he said so i decided to make up my own code and i didn't tell anybody what it was and started using it and they did what i was asking them to do that i did not even vocalize It was just in his head. That was, yeah. The Morse code and the lights was something that just absolutely stood out to me too. Because even even looking at, okay, if it is just Morse code, why the heck would, first of all, why the heck would some extraterrestrial in a tin can be like, oh, he's saying SOS. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So I'm going to answer. And you can can say, you know, interplanetary communicators all you want. I will rebuttal with this, the magic of the fairies. Um, because effectively, mm-hmm. once we start pinning it to this magic technology, that's that's what we're doing there. Um, mm-hmm. No, but yeah, I know to think even too that he was that he was communicating with that. To me, that was just evidence that there was some rapport between his con- consciousness and whatever that is. You know, the yeah. Morse code, the light was incidental. It was that connection between mm-hmm. the observer and the observed. I know I, I love that so much. <laughs> Yeah. And that connection is is part of why I was nervous of doing this podcast, actually. I remember oh, really? I yeah, I remember saying to mom, I was like, All right, how many months until weird stuff starts happening in the houses in our me and your house all the time? All the time. Yeah. And she was like, you know, it's not gonna be that bad. I'm like, they're good, they might notice. <laughs> it hasn't been too bad. No, we 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 do have little flaps, personal flaps. of activity yeah that's um it's odd to hear someone finally phrase that because i you know stuff like that i've been trying to figure out how to phrase that for years that's exactly what is personal flaps 
Yeah, just mm-hmm. little itty bitty like, yeah. t- small time periods of intense activity. Yep. Um, but I was worried that we would draw attention, I guess. Mm-hmm. And things we things would mess with us because yeah. why wouldn't they? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I've I've thought a lot about that too, because you know, as like a researcher, investigator, whatever. Of course, you want that contact so you can look at it and be like, oh, this happened and file it away and write about it and dissect it and be like, this is a symbolic implication of this. But at the end of the day, you can't turn that off. And that's no. the thing that I always wonder about. Um, because again, I've had a lifetime of, I would probably say a little bit more than average strange experiences. Same with my extended family. Um, but I've never had like to the level that Keel had his life just kind of continuously tampered with. No, they like came for him. (laughs) Yeah. And that I'm just like, yeah, you can't leave that outside. You're literally taking your work home with you. (laughs) Yeah. And then people wondered why by Disneyland of the gods, he was cranky all the time. I know his later books. I was like, (laughs) he 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 was was tired with it. You know? Yeah. He was was mad. Yeah. <laughs> he was angry. I, and yeah. and just I the re- don't blame him. The revolving carousel of belief systems, too, that came about. You know, because mm-hmm. at the beginning of his research, you have all these people talking about the friendly space brothers and their magic planets where everyone's in the nude and having a great time. And then, and you know, by the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> Utopia, you know. And then by the end of it, we've got the greys. You know, this ominous, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just think, too, that he he got worn out as someone who didn't try to believe. He probably got worn out of all the belief systems that people threw all of their ducks in there. You know, they got all their ducks in a row and they're like, okay, we're going to believe in the Saucerians now. And then a couple of years pass and, okay, it's the Reptilians. A couple of years pass. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, yeah, I I love I love communicating with, with people online. Um, I Not trolley people but um i don't love that nobody distinction there yeah oh yeah Uh, but even so i i remember once asking a question and i thought it was a fairly innocuous question but the answers that i got were so i forgot that not everybody does the you know belief is the enemy you know holding that to their heart as a thing to try to you know live up to because it is really hard to live without beliefs mm-hmm. you, you, humans are kind of we're hardwired to have some kind of belief or even it's like if it's just a placeholder yeah. yeah yeah and even yeah. if it's just a placeholder a, a linguistic trick to like be able to speak about things yeah um it, it's yeah but i i asked on a on a uh message board kind of thing Hey, so have any of you seen a lot of orange orbs, you know, spherical lights of whatever size? Some of them are huge and some of them are small. And it just seems like I'm running across these a lot in people's narratives. Orange orbs. Why is it orange? Why is it orange? Now, I don't know what I expected. I I really (laughs) don't. But the answers I got... I, I just, I was like, why did I do this to myself? Why, <laughs> why did I do this to these nice people? I'm sure they're very nice people. But, you know, it was like, well, 
those are the ones that we have oh. back engineered from captured technology. Yeah. Theirs are blue because it's a purer technology and we use a less pure um energy source blah 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 and then there was i i was like oh god yeah how am i can't answer this i cannot i because you know my 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 question then is how do you know that yeah and that's that's a bad question to ask so i just they heard it from a guy they just know and yeah meanwhile she asks me the same question after she gets frustrated and she calls me and I'm like, I don't know, mom, in color theory, <laughs> which is where I went, you know, <laughs> and I start, yeah. like talking about color theory and like artistic, like expressions and like that yeah. orange is a warm color and, you know, it's in this part of the light spectrum. And I don't know why any of those things would be pertinent, but symbolically, <laughs> maybe they mean a thing, well, yeah. which is like, equally guesswork. Yeah. It's still yeah. guesswork. I think yeah, but the thing le- for me, oh, go on, sorry. Oh, no, that's okay, go ahead. The theorization is fine. Like, if people want to theorize about, okay, we back-engineered them from a stolen craft from, you know, the galaxy of Ganymede, and they have the pure light source. If that's theory, I'm okay with it. As soon as it's the answer with a capital T and a capital A. Yeah, that was the part that got me. That's the like, problem. Oh, oh I no. will entertain, you know, theories, speculation, like... You know, because, yeah, we're trying to figure this out. But as soon as it's, oh, that's the answer. We're going to close out with that. As soon as it's case solved, I'm like, eh, not so much. Yeah. (laughs) Because nothing about this is case solved. Mm -hmm. None of it. Ever. None of it is case solved. The only thing we know for sure is something weird is happening. And it's been happening since forever. And, yeah, and it appears to have, you know, long-running symbolic ties. Um, Yes. And that's all we know. Yeah, that's the one thing. Not to provide the answer on the orange orbs, but <laughs> you're yeah. hearing it now, folks. This is the answer. The thing that <laughs> has been occurring to me lately that I'm really interested in is how it seems like a lot of the like really strong symbols associated with a phenomenon, um, they seem to have very old meaning to us. Um, like I look at mm-hmm. all these cases where dogs um, are attacked by mm-hmm. paranormal phenomena. I'm like, what's up with that? To me, at least, dogs are our oldest domesticated animal. They've been with us yep. for a long time. They've been important to us for a long time. They're a symbol of guardianship. You know, so, okay, you have our one of our oldest companions being heavily influenced by the phenomenon. Um, in that same vein, the only thing I've ever come up with with the orange orbs is they are, at least the ones I saw, which I would consider like that amber kind of orange glow I've read so many times, like you were saying, um, it does mm-hmm. pertain, to me at least, to like fire. Again, mm-hmm. one of mankind's oldest symbols. I'm not going to say, oh, well, there you go. That's the, the answer. It's a symbol of fire, our oldest, you know, oldest tool there. But, you know, speculation. My, but, yeah. my speculative symbology was orange is the color halfway between the sun, which is or, which is um, yellow, and our blood, which is red. Oh, yeah. And so it's somewhere between the sky and humanity. But that was that's some symbology. That's not even symbolism. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's speculative symbology. See, yeah, and that that's the thing though is I do feel like, you know, there is a level of respect that needs to be had among researchers to be like, okay, you know what? I have no idea what you're saying, but you know, as long as you're fine and that's where you're coming from, let's take a look. Yes. That's yes. the thing. Let's take a look, because no one knows what's going on. Yeah. That's my battle cry. Yep. Entertain. It's a good battle cry. Entertain Thank every you. possibility. 
I, I, I do see value in, in, in entertaining every possibility. And I'm blown away pretty much every time I talk with, with either a witness or a uh, writer or a, a, a theorist or anything, or I'm reading a new book there or reading a really old book that I read yeah. when I was, you know, 11 or 12 and I'm getting to be way older than that. So I need to reread it. 13. And, uh, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I've, there's always something new that, it, that just jumps out at me and I go, Oh my God, you know, yeah. and write it down, you know, and, Sometimes it fits together with other stuff and then other times it doesn't. And, but still there's, there's new possibilities and new thoughts everywhere about these very strange phenomena that seem to occur way more frequently than anybody would like to think, unless you read John Keel a lot, in which case you, yeah, you're excited by it. Oh, yeah. I know. And I love that, too, that it does seem that this is far more common. Like, you know, we call it the paranormal. At some point, we'll just have to call it the normal, but we still don't get it. You know, because <laughs> yeah, it's, I like that. You know, so many people have these experiences. And it's amazing how you see the response too. like some people, it changes their lives. Some people, you know, they'll have a ghost experience and that's where they stick. And they're like, everything is you know, something spiritual or they see a UFO and they think everything is just related to, you know, the space brothers or whatever. And it's just, it's amazing too. And this is what I loved about Jacques Vallée's messengers of deception. Um, effectively, he just said, there is a big unknown that is affecting cultural change and always has. <laughs> and yeah. that that was eye-opening because it's true. You know, you have people, even, you know, people who have that one odd experience that still happened in their life. That's still affecting them in some way, even if they try to forget about it, mm -hmm. you know? And so I just, you know, I think that to bring more normalcy to the paranormal or to bring the paranormal into the normal kind of realm of existence here, that's an important thing to do because then people can finally start really openly sharing their experiences. And maybe we'll kind of be able to sift some, element of truth out of it finally find that string that keel was always looking for right the thread that binds it all together yeah. you know or or comes closer to binding it all together than what we've I got mean, right now we have one thread the one thread one thread is us we yes. just don't yeah. have the other one <laughs> i i know it's like what's the one common denominator in every society a witness <laughs> yep yeah, yep. we just we're we're we don't even understand ourselves fully yet. Mm -hmm. So nope, that's... trying to understand our part in this huge supranormal existence that we're all floating around in is yeah. going to be hard. And that's I think that too turning that lens inward and realizing that. Yeah, we don't know. As human beings, we really don't understand much about ourselves. We don't understand much about our universe. You know, that's been the way that I look at things from the paranormal as well. It's kind of affected my worldview in that mm -hmm. way. And to me, you know, a lot of people, they tend to view these things as frightening. They view unknowns as frightening. And for me, that it's kind of liberating. You know, it's very exciting. You can be like, you know what? It is. It's all a big unknown. And I want to try and figure it all out. And I do think that the paranormal... In a way, there's an honesty to it in finally calling it the unexplained. You know, yes. there's an honesty to that. You know, people so often, they have a worldview where things are explained and people are explained and it's run by this and 
this means that, and that's it. Um, and to say the unexplained is an admission that at the end of the day, we don't know. And that's, that is an important thing to me. Oh yeah. I, I think it's a mature way to look at it, to admit that a, we don't know and B we're not in control of everything. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's steps toward maturity. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. It's nerve-wracking to do that, I think. Yeah. For, you certainly can't do that at a societal level entirely because if, if a whole society just it, all at once admits that they have no idea what's going on... <laughs> Yeah, that'd like, be pretty scary. It, it would done. be pandemonium, yeah. <laughs> things would not get done. We might all become more spiritually enlightened by the end of it. Yeah. But the transition to that might be a long be process. <laughs> messy. Very, very messy. I think. Maybe it's a good thing that this field is kind of a niche genre, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 Let those weirdos over there deal with that. They'd... Somebody's got to make bread. <laughs> right well that's, that's yeah. what, I've fallen into that category sometimes honestly like sometimes I'm just like because I've had some experiences that I, I, I'm trying to break it down and be like that definitely maybe that was a fairy but what is a fairy how do I know it was yeah. a fairy I don't know that what do I think was behind it and finally I'm just like I get too tired of trying to do that and I, my brain hurts and I'm like, you know what? Screw it. It's just a fairy. <laughs> For right now, it's a fairy until I can come up with something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The well, placeholder name. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing with the terminology, too. Because, like, you know, and, oh, man, uh, the fairy versus UFO occupant debate is something that I have seen in my comment section so many times. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm fully there just being like, okay, we're going to call it this because that's what the witness said and it attunes to this tradition. It also attunes to this one. So, you know, there you go. Oh, man, I've got people. That was a fairy because of this. This obscure mm -hmm. thing. No, and then someone else. No, the way that they behave. Those are extraterrestrial. I'm like, guys, guys. It could be both Please, break it up. Take it outside. Yeah. 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 <laughs> go fight in your DMs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I want to yeah. see that on here. <laughs> Yeah, Crypt cryptozoology um, groups fall into that so easily. You know, mm -hmm. it's a this, it's a that, and it's no, it's it, oh, whatever, just whatever. <laughs> but maybe it is. That's the other yeah, thing. Is maybe it's, it yeah. is. I know, but you know, don't argue about it. Just. <laughs> And that's where my brain starts hurting and I just go, you know what? I don't know what it is. I'm going to call it this because it's convenient and it fits the thing that I understand the best. And I will clarify that yeah. when I talk about it. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, again, too, for me, my the big thing is just definites are not my friend. I think it's just a personality thing. I prefer things to be vague, you know, as, and so if you want to pin it as something, uh, okay, whatevs. If you want to pin it as something else, okay. Maybe it's something between. Again, right? as soon as it's the answer, I'm just like, nah. it can be anything but that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's. I I will gladly never give a straight answer about something like this because I don't know it. Thank so you. So I can't say it. Like, well, I, it's much, I, much appreciated. 
like my my history teachers have beaten it into me that you can't you cannot say something is a fact if you don't know mm-hmm. it's a fact. Yeah, yeah. Which is a whole other debate within history is how do you know something is true? Oh yeah, I believe it. <laughs> which that is that's a whole different. And if you ask a scientist and you ask a historian how do you know something's true, you will get slightly different answers. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And both of them are right. Which is yeah. why I'm like, we're screwed. We're never going to figure out the paranormal. We can't even agree on what is objective truth because there is no such thing as objective truth. Exactly. Well, I think that brings up a great point too, which is that the paranormal, um, you know, in recent years, I look at like the paranormal kind of like this era we're in is really starting with like, you know, the mid-century and moving through the golden age of research. And now here we are. We have very similar patterns from that time period on. Um, that's how I think about it at least. And I feel like there's been such a focus on the hard sciences to figure this Mm -hmm. out. And I truly don't think that's where, you know, we're going to get a lot of answers to our questions or even newer, better questions. I do think it's the softer sciences of Mm -hmm. like sociology, psychology. Um, Historians should look at this, philosophers. And Kiel, Mm -hmm. again, that's kind of like, you know, a mashed up quote of his at the end of Operation Trojan Horse. Because I just think that this, the effect of it is so much more on the people as opposed mm-hmm. to anything quantifiable. So, yeah. Ask the witness what they had for breakfast. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Kripal would agree. He's, he keeps saying, give it back to the humanities. Yep. Greg Bishop's been humanities. saying the same thing, too. You know, yeah. we need the artists and the musicians and the poets. Exactly. We need not, all not of us. Just, yeah, I, I yeah. think I think we need every discipline that there is. Maybe it's not so the funny. interpretive dancers, but maybe. Don't know. <laughs> hey, Who it knows? could happen? It could happen. Yeah, if there's a moment like um, at the end of Close Encounters when that door opens and the things, maybe we need them. I'm yeah. the interpretive dancers to set up some communication. I don't know. Oh, it's we amazing might. because um, there's this book, The Edge of Reality, which is pretty much just transcribed discussions between Valet and Heineck. And mm-hmm. I totally love that because it also includes a fantastic quote about the Simon case where Heineck goes, the gentleman from Wisconsin with the pancakes. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, there's this part where I think it was Valet who was saying, he's like, you know, typically when there's a new science and he actually used ecology as an example at that time, he's like, everyone wants it. You know, the biologists say, oh, that's our thing. And then the physicists say, oh, that's our thing. The geologists say, oh, that's our thing. He's like, but with UFOs, no one wants to touch it. And so I think the interviewer, Heineck, was like, well, why do you think that is? And Valet was like, well, it's the funding. As soon as you put up some funding, then everyone will want it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. And he ended up being a venture capitalist. So, yeah, he was a very wise man. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was the funniest thing. I was like, that's pragmatic there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And that is one thing I hope that the Pentagon saying anything about the existence of UFOs or UAPs will do. I hope there will be funding. So somebody somewhere can actually get their teeth into this. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Funding that's above board that we know about would be awesome. But that might be asking too much. That's asking a lot. God, I know. I know, I know. So much. (laughs) Jeez. You want a pony too, don't you? Yeah. Put that in my Santa Claus letter. <laughs> I'd above like some above board, board funding, funding for UAP and research a, and a pony. And a pony. I would like it to be pinto pony spots. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm sorry you got me a pinto pony. <laughs> With spots. <laughs> I would love him and feed him and name him George. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, and it won't be a Kelpie, hopefully. Hey, yeah, you never maybe, know. Maybe. I don't know. See, if the above board funding falls through, I'm sure it'll be skimped on the pony. So yeah, maybe yeah. we'll be. <laughs> Or you'll get a very small stuffed one. Yeah. Yeah. Because you did not specify. That's true. (laughs) There's the problem. That's true. Or one of those plastic ones, you know, one of the briar ponies. Okay, but those are cool ponies. I know. Speaking as somebody who remembers being a 12-year-old girl who still liked horses. Yeah. Those could be pretty cool. And they didn't make you sneeze, which was... Yes, Yes, this, that was nice. Since I'm allergic to everything that has fur, oh, I man. say sitting with my dog at my feet and ferrets right next to me and my cat somewhere <laughs> in the background. Yeah, she hasn't come oh, to help awesome. with this episode. She, she usually <laughs> comes to help. She will arrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 funding would be great, you know. Um, just. I don't know. Interdisciplinary I, conferences, maybe? Oh, yeah, mm. that would be nice. That, that would be awesome. That you know, and maybe great. a segment kind of in the middle of the newsreel. I know yeah. everyone's asking quite a bit, but... <laughs> I don't wow. think that's too much. We just need to find a journalist somewhere who will listen. <laughs> yeah. Well, Leslie Keen listens, but that's she works true. for the New York Times, so that's, she's not a yeah. she's not a... She's a print journalist, so. Yeah. I mean, I do think that there is something to there. There is more general pop culture interest. Yeah, as much as like, you know, I'll be the first to admit, you can't take any show pretty much on the paranormal as gospel. It does do one thing and it provides people with something to be like, okay, that was interesting, Mm -hmm. you know, and to kind of start that up. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Nothing is as cool as, as In Search Of, but that's because Leonard Nimoy oh, yeah. was narrating it. So, you know, if oh, Mr. No Spock kidding. was talking about it, it makes it better. Yeah, definitely. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, but. Yeah. Well, did we mention the the Joe Laycock paper, Morgana? Yes. At we the did. Beginning. Yes. Were we, we actually recording then? I was going to say yes. pre or post recording. <laughs> pre post recording. Okay. Good. I'm glad we did. Okay. If we didn't, oh well. We'll have to have her back, and then <laughs> we can talk come about back. it. I <laughs> would love to. This was. This has been so much fun. Truly, like I know it's been a long time coming, and meeting you guys has been awesome. Like this has just yeah. been a fantastic conversation. You you are a treat of a human. Yes, Aww, hopefully thank you. next year we'll meet you in Point Pleasant. Um, yes. I, I feel like, you know, next year in Jerusalem. Um, <laughs> when, when I finally go on my pilgrimage. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I feel like we need to have the pilgrim hats. I, I was think. about yes. to say we need Europe. the pilgrim hats. Exactly. With the, the badges that you pin to them. With little ribbons. Okay, that that's, that's what we should do. Okay. We have a year to make pilgrimage badges. I've got my pamphlets, so I can I can figure out that. Yeah. 
<laughs> working on on the bibles for the hotel rooms that that might take yeah. yeah i like it i like it um but yeah it, this is this has been great um and i'd love to have you back and anytime oh and you've got to talk about your book Oh, that's right. Um, how could I forget? Literally, this has been like a lifelong goal of mine is writing a book, um, especially on the paranormal, because seriously, growing up, I was kind of a nerdy kid. And so researchers and authors Aww. were like, they were my idols. And so this is like, very surreal for me to be looking at having a book. Um, so it's called Just Another Tinfoil Hat Presents. And it's from Beyond the Fray Publishing. It should be out shortly because i don't technically know the date but it's in the near future so okay, excellent so look we'll to the look future that. that's where we all live <laughs> yes yes we will we will look for it um and where can people find you on the on the internet so my website is called just another tinfoilhat.com and i also have the youtube channel which you know hold on to your hats put on your seatbelts. it's also under just another tinfoil hat so pretty much if you look up the word just another tinfoil hat, no spaces, you'll probably find me at some point. Okay. Excellent. Perfect. Um, that's that's smart branding. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being with us. Thank you um, so much. Definitely well, hope to have you back. Seriously, you guys, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a fantastic conversation with you two tonight. Yeah, it's Yay. been fun. Well, that's all for this week's episode of the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast. If you have any questions or thoughts about the podcast or would like to come and talk about your experiences of the paranormal, you can contact us at 6djk67 at gmail.com. We promise to even answer you, and we are always happy to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you.